0: One thing that I love about going out for a meal, and it's a big part of the experience for me, is a table setting. Personally, I really like a minimalistic approach, uh, but always a brilliant white tablecloth, crisp yet still really soft to the touch. And of course equally well presented napkins, and preferably the same colour as the tablecloth. And in order to make the finest tablecloths and napkins, you need the finest cotton. And so, in a slight curveball, today the science behind your salad is focusing on the element of our mealtimes, which is the tablecloth and the napkins. It's the bit that we don't eat, but is, at the same time, a crucial part of the dining experience.
1: I always say it's the fabric of our lives, right? It's a slogan we see on commercials, but it is, people like it. It's comfortable, it feels good, it it wicks water away. So I think think it'll always be there, and it's a natural fibre.
0: In this episode, we're looking at cotton. Cotton is ubiquitous. I bet there's not a person on the planet that doesn't possess at least one item of clothing made from cotton. And in order to provide clothing for so many people, it needs to be grown in vast quantities. Around 25 million tonnes of the crop is grown every year, which roughly works out as 110 million bales annually. The history of cotton is steeped in global trade, politics and also economics, and one of the darkest periods of global history. Our producer Martin has been doing some research into the crop, And he's here now to tell me more about it.
2: We take cotton for granted. We don't really think about where it's come from. Now it's just one of many fabrics we can choose from. Things like the man-made fibres we have in our cupboards. Polyester, nylon, spandex to name just a few. Although there's not much spandex in my cupboard.
0: How's it grown, Martin?
2: Cotton grows on plants from the genus Gossypium. It's easily spotted because of its fluffy and soft structure. It looks like cotton wool, basically, and it grows on a protective shell called a bowl. The cotton bowl bursts and disperses seeds all over the place, and once harvested, it is stored in bales. Cotton in its raw state is not naturally strong. To make it into a strong yarn, it needs to be twisted or spun. It can then be woven into cloth, and until the late 18th century, all the spinning of the cotton was done by hand, and it took an awful long time. Cotton is now the most widely used textile, and at the heart of this story, though, is a complex mix of trade, industry, politics and economics.
0: Do we know much about where it came from and where cultivation began?
2: Well, cotton dates back to around 4,000 years BC, and there's even evidence of the crop in India and in Mexico, and in fact the oldest cotton ever found was discovered in Peru, and that dates back to about 6,000 BC.
0: And how did it spread around the world?
2: Well, Alexander the Great brought it back to Europe, and Greek and Roman merchants began trading cotton with India. At first, though, it was only really used by Greek and Roman nobility, but the trade routes grew, and from around 1300 onwards, cotton production finally spread through the entirety of Europe. But still, for a long time, it remained accessible only to the aristocrats' um, royalty of the day. But as time went by, other nations began to trade with India, such as the French East India Company and the Dutch East India Company, which sprung up. And then in 1615, the British East India Company began importing printed cotton fabrics into the UK. But a huge shift occurred in the mid-1700s when cotton reached the USA. Up until this point, the problem with cotton was that it required a lot of manual labour to process the crop into a fabric. And this is why it was considered such a luxury.
0: And here we begin one of the darkest periods in global history, don't we?
2: Yes, because when it arrived in the USA in the southern states, which provided ideal growing conditions for the crop, production ramped up for one main and morally reprehensible reason, the slave trade. Slavery provided the workforce needed to produce cotton in vast quantities, and the US cotton industry grew rapidly between 1750 and 1790. As the industry grew even bigger in the 1800s, cotton's financial and political influence can be compared to that of the oil industry of the 21st century. The slaves obviously worked for free, which enabled the large plantation owners to become some of the wealthiest men in the USA. In those states where slavery was rife, farm owners could buy many slaves, cultivate huge areas of land, and incredibly, by the 1850s, slaves made up 50% of the population of the main cotton-growing states. We're talking about Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, and Louisiana, those deep south states. Slaves obviously were treated appallingly, and I'm sure many of our listeners are aware of the horrendous conditions they had to endure. ...and the exploitation led to a rise in the upper classes in those southern states... ...purely because they were able to make so much money without having to pay a workforce.
0: And that all came to an end.
2: Thankfully, the barbaric behaviour of the plantation owners... ...was brought crashing down by the American Civil War. 1865, slavery was finally abolished.
0: So what happened in the cotton industry next?
2: The end of slavery hit the US cotton industry hard and the crop expanded elsewhere. China and India led the way. During the second half of the 20th century though, the Indian cotton industry began to mechanize and so it was able to compete on the world market. Cotton is now the most popular and widely used fabric in the world. It's versatile, used in clothes, bed linen, hygiene, and there are different varieties of course. The most luxurious being Pima.
0: And who grows the most cotton today?
2: Well, China, India, the USA, and Brazil are the top four growers. The top two producers are India and China, and they contribute approximately 45 to 50% of the world's production, while the top four producers comprise 70 to 75% of the global production. So that's a very quick tour around the history, but it gives you an idea of how politically charged the crop has been over the centuries. Hopefully, the coming centuries will be far less controversial for cotton.
0: And we'll be hearing a lot more from Martin in this episode because this week in Greece, a fashion show has taken place. It was a fashion show to mark the launch of the seed to sow cotton blockchain, a way of tracing cotton from the origins of the seed all the way through to production of a garment. The launch culminated in a fashion show in a cotton field in Komotini in northeast Greece. And Martin was there, and we'll hear how the event went and what he thought about it. The show set out to highlight the benefits blockchain can bring to the cotton crop. So before we join Martin in a field in Greece, a nation where cotton production plays a valuable role in their agriculture, I took a deep dive into the complex world of blockchain. Essentially, it's a way of monitoring all transactions involved in a process, digitally. The information gathered is duplicated and distributed across the entire network of computer systems involved in that particular blockchain. I spoke to Abhijit Sharma, BSS blockchain guru. I started by asking him if he can break down the concept of blockchain into a really easy to digest form.
3: Now let's break it into two pieces blocks and chain so the blocks are basically the pieces of data packed together and then and then they are connected to each other like a chain then you need to also bring in another vector which is called as time so when you think about time that means that every data when it is entered into each of these blocks whether it is a ledger whether it's a value of data which you want to store over a period of time then this data is basically being stamped across with the time vector and that is very important here. And that is what differentiates between blockchain and regular databases. And what it creates is then, you know, a kind of data entry and exits from each of these blocks with a stamp of time, which is ensuring that this transaction happened at that point. You can also store additional things like geolocation in those blocks, pictures, images, time is always there, data also in the form of geolocation, so you can prove so many things together if you really connect the dots there. And that is what blockchain is.
0: You've started a very interesting project in, in agriculture, using blockchain to build trust and traceability in the cotton chain. How are you doing that and why are
3: you doing it? We are trying to create an operating model using cotton as a value chain, which, which truly is a complex value chain. You farmers produce the cotton and then cotton moves to the jenners, jenners have to separate it, goes to the spinners, etc., etc. Now, if you look at this value chain, everybody is using advanced systems. It's easy to fix it into any kind of network like a blockchain. But what starts becoming a big problem is at the end of the farmers. They have always been fragmented and the focus to create a technology-based solution for them has mostly been ignored. And that is where the biggest problem and biggest solution lies. And this is what we are trying to fix by creating a blockchain network which can take into account every input that farmer can manage.
0: So, Abby, as a consumer, I'm I'm interested in fair trade, that the farmer is being paid well, the processor is being paid well, and I'm also interested in some environmental consciousness in how the t-shirt that I'm wearing has been produced. How can this blockchain help? give me the assurance in practice as a buyer.
3: You buy a t-shirt, you scan the QR code or automatically that invoice associates to your profile. Now that t-shirt is also coming up with a green NFT. This NFT is something which works like a key for you. When you're going and buying airline tickets, you can get uh, additional discounts from the airlines to s- wherein airline can truly understand from this NFT that look at you, you are already a person who's making informed choices who's making responsible decisions who's not interested in getting more but getting more responsible so imagine you buy an airline ticket and you get 20% off just because you make the right decisions on your daily life you when you walk into the grocery you buy the right green grocery or or you know sustainable practiced uh, chocolates or, or or fair trade you name it everything is there in it and uh, and and that's what i feel that the dream is
0: how will blockchain technology help smaller farmers that find it currently find it difficult to access markets
3: some of their difficulties are way beyond just farming you know for example i heard that in rhineland palatinate they have to do 17 or 18 different regulatory compliance measurements and and so much of paperwork but what if all this data is automatically inputted by your tractor by your app you as a smallholder farmer also want visibility over the network whether you are growing with fair practices or whatever and each of the smaller step that you take what is your motivation to take that small step but if you start getting money for that come on everybody wants to jump into that and and farmers should get that due for being close to the land and be motivated to bring more green uh, you know to our society farming would become cooler as a profession.
0: Farmers are often forgotten when we think of cotton when we pull on a pair of jeans button up a shirt pull the curtains or even climb into bed and slide between our clean sheets. The last thing that we think about is the way that cotton was grown. But maybe with blockchain, we may start to consider where the fabric comes from, right from its very origins. Before we head to Greece, let's hear from Maria Karaba. Maria is head of sales at Athos Palace. Athos Palace is a fashion and textile agency with 40 years of experience aiming to offer and develop sustainable products. Athos Palace has been working with BASF on their blockchain project and are staging a fashion show with BASF.
4: The initial idea was to have um, a green uh, runaway in the cotton fields. That part of Greece is so beautiful at that time of the year. So I'm thrilled, thrilled, uh, and also excited to welcome all these brands and uh, you know B.S.F. Uh, partner. So sustainability for us is maintaining um, a livable uh, textile industry. Blockchain was a great closure to a journey of sixteen months now. We were familiar with uh, this kind of uh, technology. We have had um, something similar in the past, not a blockchain. We have had uh, a web tool where we thought that um, every day uh, all partners and all teams would update this tool. So customers, you know, can uh, log in and find out in real time where their uh, their order would be. Therefore, the blockchain for us this will give us all a consistent uh, way of working throughout the farmers, which actually they are doing the most difficult job uh, on earth, I would say. And then all the other partners, um, we are privileged to be in an office where we can have like uh, the technology for farmers. It was, uh, I think, the hardest block uh, chain is going to give answers to everyone. And finally, it's going to give um, a sustained uh, solution and answer to uh, customers.
2: And so this is where I take over. I've come to Greece, which is the EU's main cotton grower. It makes up more than 80% of total European production. Cotton accounts for more than 8% of Greece's total agricultural output, and the main cotton producing areas are Thessaly, Macedonia, and Thrace. It's planted from March to April. The harvest normally occurs from October to late November, so we're here at a very busy time. I'm here for the Seed to Sow fashion show which is a unique event held in a cotton field to celebrate the blockchain project that is being piloted in this area. The audience is now gathering and taking their seats, but first, I caught up with a couple of people involved in the trial. Shortly, we'll be meeting the farmer whose field we're standing in and whose field the fashion show is taking place in. So my name is
5: Theodoros Lefiz. I have cotton crop in Thras, and specifically in Komodini, and this is where I also live. So my uh, my field is up to 100 hectares.
2: How difficult is it to grow cotton? So
5: it, it, it is very difficult, it's a very difficult crop, because you need a lot of knowledge regarding that crop, and you need plenty of time to uh, go ahead with all the procedures needed for this crop. So, yeah, but at the end, if you really have a good uh, result and a good crop, uh, all this is rewarding and you don't really care about all the time you spend and the hard work you actually need to put into it.
2: So let's have a quick look at one of the plants that's here in front of us. Can, can you explain how it looks to our listeners?
4: Uh,
5: well, it's like a small tree
4: <laughs>
5: that's surrounded by balls and little cotton flowers. And uh, during uh, the time, it it grows into what we see as white.
2: These things here are the bowls, and it's kind of like a a shell. And that gradually opens up, does it?
5: Yes, correct.
2: How has the partnership with BASF helped your business?
4: People from BASF
5: helped the farmers to see and deal with the crop in a different way. Because at the end, we actually have a crop that has a brand name and quality, high quality. It has an identity.
2: How important is that to you? Because a lot of people will wear a T-shirt, a shirt, jeans, and not think about the farmer. when actually, it's really important, isn't it?
3: It's is really it's a huge procedure up to the T-shirt
5: we are wearing. And because it, it, it needs loads of time and procedures, when we actually see the product, to the end customer, we really feel well about it. We feel proud.
2: How would you feel if in, in the coming years someone could buy a t-shirt or, a, or a, a pair of trousers that had the farmer's name on it saying, this was grown by you?
3: Yeah,
5: biggest, biggest joy ever. Yeah. So because farming is the biggest job on earth and is one of the hardest jobs on earth, We want the fashion industry to understand, realize the procedure, and support what we do with good practices, because this is vital, and we believe it's going to be a success.
2: So I'm now standing in um, a yard, there's a tractor just going past, it's an empty tractor, it's got on the back of it a big cage, which looks like it's it's got lots of cotton wool balls stuck to it, and this is where... Something called ginning happens, and we're here to find out what ginning is all about.
6: I am Emanuela Kurudi and I'm a cotton ginner. I'm a third-generation ginner in a family business based in Komotini, Greece. Komotini is a small city. It's in northern Greece, next to the borders with Turkey and Bulgaria. It's the main city of Thrace. Almost everybody here is a farmer producing special cotton
2: the, the cotton success story in Greece is something that a lot of people don't really know about
6: yes you know Greece is producing big amounts of cotton it's the, the leader in cotton production in Europe we're really sad that almost no one knows the story of the Greek cotton
2: so the, the trucks will come in here laden with raw cotton straight yeah. from the field is it yes and what happens to it then
6: We wait the truck and then they get back to the warehouses to unload their cotton. So let's go have a look.
2: Tell me quickly what ginning is, because I didn't know what, I'd never heard of ginning. When I started working on this project, I I started hearing about this word ginning. Um, Nothing to do with the drink.
6: No, 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 Uh, cotton gin is actually not a drink.
2: No. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
6: It's a process when we separate the seed from the cotton plant. So in the end, we have seed and cotton yarn. Uh, the machinery in the field, yeah. it takes just the, the white part of the cotton, so you don't have any sticks or leaves or yeah. anything like that. Yeah. And we just take out the seeds from the inside. That's the ginning process
2: several massive big machines, all pumping away, doing something, lots of belts driving, lots of conveyor belts going up and down, lots of air being blown. So on each of the bales, how important to blockchain is is that, the, uh, the label on it?
6: Yeah, it's really important because we have to know that uh, we change the exact quantity that the five farmers that take part in the blockchain brought to us.
2: You've got a barcode, you've got a date when it was when it was ginned, time, farmer code, all those things. Is it a lot more work for you? It's
6: not more work for us, and it's also kind of exciting for all the partners. We don't have to do anything differently, but we have to be more focused. And careful that every step is linked with the step before and with the step after so when everything is linked it's super easy but we have to be focused that we follow the steps and that nothing is missing because if one bale is missing uh, everything is gonna be a disaster so there is a huge demand of the industry for cotton produced in this way if the pilot program of the blockchain goes good that we hope it is because it's a great project mm. we will open it for the whole uh, csf community
2: Brilliant. standing here in front of this wall of cotton, what happens next to these
6: they are going to the spinning mill that is taking part in this pilot project yeah. they are gonna become yarn and then they are going to the next partners in order to become ready government. We are a third generation and uh, not even once <laughs> we could inform about uh, you know, where our cotton actually is. So it's really interesting and emotional for us <laughs> to make, uh, uh, to know the brand or to, to actually see and touch clothes made by our cotton. Soil, water, and sand creates perfect combination,
7: generating a long and strong fiber, known for for the very high quality. Just two days away from the celebration of the World's Cotton Day, we wanted to create a collection promoting the Greek cotton and its value around the world. It's all styles that you are
2: going to see. So we've come to field just outside of the city of Comatini. This is a vast, vast cotton field. It's very, very beautiful here. Blue skies, mountains in the background and we're here for rather a unique fashion show. There's an audience of about 250 people here and they're all here to see what can be done with sustainable cotton.
7: Motifs were all inspired by ancient Greek ceramics. They were blended with traditional aesthetic in such a way to give a, a fresh breath crossing the whole collection. The octopus, the horse, and the owl symbols of a history carefully developed by our designs to project how the old can be mixed with the new and create unique
2: results. There's a selection of items of clothing ranging from simple white outfits to more patterned costumes, and yeah. They've done a brilliant job.
7: The collection is divided in two main parts. In the first part, we focus on more airy and simple lines, with emphasis on detail and more natural colors, where we can see beige, orange, black and white. In second part, we can see more casual lines and volumes in the garments, adding cobalt blue and neon line to even up the collection. Thank you. Thank you for being here to watch and feel Greek spirit. Now
2: in 2022, enjoy. How does it feel to see some of your cotton on the catwalk?
6: Yeah, it was more than I expected. It was um, really a pleasure. It made me kind of emotional. What a beautiful setting music, well Yeah, I mean, the setting, the music, the the cotton, the clothes that are made of our cotton, so we feel very proud today. He says that it's something really innovative, yeah, it's something yeah. that we have never left before, especially in this area, and that he's proud for his cotton. It's important that uh, his job that he's doing for a long time now, it's actually finding uh, a way and uh, the journey begins.
0: Blockchain is in its early stages and this really is just the start. To be able to monitor exactly what is happening to a crop at certain stages in its life cycle will help farmers, processors, manufacturers and retailers in planning what measures they need to take to ensure a successful crop. And planning for the future is vital for the cotton industry considering how unpredictable the world we inhabit currently is. To get an idea of what the future holds for cotton, Martin spoke to Corey Mills. Corey is Cotton Breeding Manager at BSF, and he's based in Texas. Corey manages a team of plant breeders trying to develop new varieties for farmers.
1: If you're just talking about the U.S., uh, they average around 11 to 12 million acres. Uh, To put that in perspective, if you looked at corn and soybeans within the U.S., you're split there, uh, each one's around 90 million acres. It is lower, it's a smaller uh, area footprint than if you look at corn and soybeans, but it's, it's high profitability. U.S. produces around, uh, on average, 17 million bales of cotton each year, and most of this cotton is exported.
2: It's really interesting that you said that it's lower than corn and soy, however, it's just as ubiquitous to us as a, as a global population cotton.
1: Yeah, it sure is. I always say it's the fabric of our lives, right? It's a slogan we see on commercials, but it is, people like it. It's comfortable, it feels good, it, it wicks water away. So I think I think it'll always be there, and it's a natural fiber, and people, people like that concept.
2: So in the US, USA, what sort of varieties do you grow?
1: There are actually two different types of cotton, where you look at upland, cotton, and pima. The Pima cotton is is known for its uh, staple length, so the the fiber quality is is tremendous. It's excellent. It's used for your high end, um, if it's sheets, if it's your dress shirts. You know, I will be honest though, the majority of the cotton grown is is upland cotton and grown in the U.S. Where does that go? It's really to your t-shirts, your jeans, right? Those are. That's where it's really, and I would say probably 90% of that.
2: Give us an idea about how water use has changed over the the time you've been involved in the industry, but also over the the decades before, if you can.
1: Water usually is, in in some areas, the limiting resource, right, for uh, production. Uh, It's the key, right, to growing crops. There's been a lot of different um, advancements in the efficiency of delivery, of water with water limiting martin it puts stress on the crop and so that's that's kind of a a big deal when it comes to a grower he's trying to make a living be sustainable with his family and so they they have to find ways to make things better and and some of that's done through efficiency of the equipment but also it's done through seats and that's really what we're trying to do we're trying to develop uh say a, a cotton varieties that will produce In areas where there's low water, right? Where if it's low rainfall or even the availability of water to pump it, pump it out of the ground. I think water availability is being reduced, right, just in general. Uh, So growers are doing their best to manage this challenge because we still, I mean, we still want to eat. We still want to have clothes. We still want to feed cattle and things like this where we have to grow crops. And so um, I I guess everybody's trying to work together to come up with with some uh, Solutions right to this problem, but I think it'll always be there. It'll be a challenge
2: And what are the other key traits that you're looking for to? Develop seeds for the future.
1: Yeah So some of the key driving traits that always been there Martin is yield and Fiber quality, so not only are those key drivers of yield and fiber quality, but there are other other factors for example it could be uh, disease resistance each region has its different challenges and we're trying to fit that or, or make make a product that'll work. Traceability, I think, especially in the environment we live in right now, is is important to people. Wouldn't it be great, right, to trace a bale of cotton all the way to the end product? What is that end product? We'll say it's a pair of jeans. That'd be cool to maybe have a stamp on those jeans of of the state maybe of where the cotton was grown. It makes a connection to the grower and sustainability. Um, So I think people really connect with that farm to product idea and it resonates with, with individuals.
2: The fashion industry is worth a whopping $2.5 trillion. And it employs over 75 million people globally. It's huge. So what chance is there for sustainable cotton to break into this market? I asked someone who knows quite a lot about the industry.
8: Uh, my name is Galatia Laskaraki. And I'm the editor-in-chief of Marie Claire Greece and head of brand.
2: And what do you think of the project here, the blockchain, so we can trace where something comes from, gives it more value, more sustainability? What do you think of that and how do you think it would catch on?
8: We can't talk about fashion sustainability if we don't uh, understand where it comes from. For me, it is a a very uh, special project. It uh, translates into the maintenance of tradition, and into uh, preserving tradition and preserving jobs and uh, providing jobs for younger generation to stay in their uh, cities, to stay in their villages I think we spend a lot of time and energy and money in order to buy a proper, better food for our families. Perhaps we will start thinking about fashion differently. Buy better quality pro- products, better quality clothes. We don't need so many clothes. We don't need so many collections that uh, fashion houses and uh, fast fashion companies produce so many times per year
2: that's quite controversial coming from an editor of Marie Claire maybe
8: but fashion will always stay with us we will never stop to desire we will never stop to want to express ourselves through fashion so it is not about not consuming it is not about hating fashion it's about loving fashion sustainability is a journey And fashion sustainability is about love.
0: Loving what you have and loving the world. As growing conditions all over the world become more and more challenging, it's reassuring to know that innovations such as blockchain can assist farmers to produce more yield and maximise their returns. As with food, provenance and traceability is becoming more and more important. Who knows, perhaps in the future, your menu when you eat out will not only tell you which farms the food has come from, but also the farmer who grew the cotton to make the tablecloth on which you are dining. Imagine that. Thank you for listening to The Science Behind Your Salad, brought to you by BASF, with me, Jane Craigie, and Martin in Greece. The Science Behind Your Salad is a Fresh Air production. Be sure to follow us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss an episode. Thank you for listening.